we're blessed in a way with very good foresight about what's happening in our climate. And yet, despite sort of high, high, high levels of certainty about something going horribly wrong, you know, we're not doing nearly as much on that issue in the security space as we are on these other issues. Welcome back, everybody. Rich Baker, founder of Collector Responsibility, here today with another episode of the Sustainable Ambassador Podcast. In this episode, I'm extremely honored to be joined by Francesco Femia, who is the co-founder and research director of the Council of Strategic Risks and the Center for Climate and Security. I really appreciate the time, Francesco. As a starting point, it'd be great to have you introduce yourself and a little bit of the work that you've been doing. Sure. Well, thanks so much, Rich. I'm Francesco Femia. I'm currently the research director of the Center for Climate and Security and the Council on Strategic Risks. We look at, you know, an inner, you know, sort of a whole range of issues from climate change to nuclear proliferation to bi- biological mm-hmm. risk and how these things intersect. I got started in this field back in 2010 when I realized that there were people that were looking at climate change, there were people looking at climate change in food, climate change in water. Then there's a small number of people who are looking at this intersection of climate and security, but uh, there wasn't really a field, there wasn't a community of practice mm-hmm. to look at how climate change impacted on security. So we had a hunch that, well, that that might be something that was used useful to do, to look at, look hard at what climate change meant for security, and then, you know, to build a community of practice around that. How do you frame climate change and security in the work that you were doing in those early days? Did it start off with a single issue, climate change and geopolitics, or was it something more narrow from there and then it grew out? At the very start of our work, climate change was considered sort of an issue that was at the little kid's table from the security perspective. Well, oh, it's nice that, you know, those people, whether it's people at the EPA or, or, you know, at at the Department of Energy that were concerned about climate change, it's nice what they're doing over there, but that's not Mm -hmm. sort of a big kids table issue. We already understood from research that had been done and also observations in the field that climate change was already impacting different levels of security, but it wasn't being, it wasn't being addressed that way by security institutions. So if I were to say there was a narrow focus, it was, the focus was about, well, how do we talk about this issue, do analysis on this issue, do policy work on this issue and, and communicate this issue in such a way that those organizations that are responsible for security actually take it seriously. Were there issues that they actually were tuning into, but they just weren't talking about it in the right way or strategically or at the depth required? And how has that changed, say, over the last... 10 to 12 years. And actually going back in 2007, there was a group of mm. uh, of retired military leaders um, that were organized by an organization called the Center for Naval Analyses and uh, an individual named Sherry Goodman, who had put out a report saying essentially climate change was a threat multiplier. Right. Um, and threat right, multiplier right. is, you know, goes back to something you said earlier, which is it's not just it's just climate change that's the problem. It's how climate change, you know, multiplies other problems. And in this case, it's mm-hmm. sort of in, in security language or even military language, how does climate change multiply other threats? So if you take a threat, right. just add climate change. What does that do to that threat? In, <laughs> in most cases, it makes it worse, right? And so, yeah. so that sort of concept was out there in 2010 and had been around for a few years, um, but it hadn't really been absorbed in terms of policy uh, in practice. Mm-hmm. I think the Obama administration has started to talk about it. Uh, there were some sort of interesting people doing good things at the at USAID, the aid agency, the United States. Uh, but the 
what we like to say is that at the time, the the attention and the resources were not commensurate to the threat. Are the conversations growing more mature into, or are there still issues like, guys, we, we've been at this for 10 years. We really need to start acting. So I'd say climate change is definitely at the big kids table. There, there are very yeah. concrete actions and also dollars um, that are going towards addressing not just climate change yeah. itself, but also this intersection of where climate change might increase the likelihood of conflict and things of that sort. So there's, there's a real attention. Yeah that now but it's nowhere near it needs to be and i'd say that's true of climate policy in general because i think we've sure. dramatically i think underestimated the the rate of change um in terms of you know <laughs> so but it's like um, jesus i was trying not to be a pollyanna for so long but guys can we look out the window right um it's i guess i want to ask you then what what are the major gaps that you still see sure that's an excellent question and i think there there are a couple dynamics at play one i do think understanding has gone way up um mm. i think there's much more, I mean, I think if you talk about the security implications of climate change with almost anybody, for example, within the U.S. government, they'll know what you're talking yeah. about. Whereas, you know, back in 2010, you'd get blank stares, right, often. And so so I think there's been a big jump in, in understanding. In part, there are mm -hmm. also a lot of people who were young and early in their careers in government in 2010, who've now sort of mm -hmm. grown in their careers, understanding this issue and caring about it. And I think that, yeah. you know, there's a generational shift that's happened as well. One of the main problems continues to be just issue competition um, on mm. the security level. I think the other bit is I think still there's still some just leftover kind of disciplinary uh, barriers. And what I mean by that mm. is most people that I think work in international affairs, foreign policy, et cetera, um, they just they didn't take those courses, right? They didn't study environmental security or climate change, et cetera. Uh, yeah. And there's still sort of a tendency to think about foreign affairs, international affairs as, you know, states competing with states and competing for interests. And they can understand if you talk about climate change in that context, but still that takes some explaining, I think, still. Mm. And so there's a tendency maybe in the human mind, not just in the the, the, the national security mind, but there's a tendency in the sure. human mind to, to, to just rank problems, right? And, every, and yeah. most people like these lists and they like bullet pointed lists and and um, there's a tendency to just put these security issues you know on a list and so uh and and you know still in the security space i think climate change doesn't always make it to the top of that list when our argument is always well you don't just put climate change somewhere in the list you yeah. add climate change to every item on your list essentially what how do you translate this into something actionable by people who are just getting their their heads around the fact that this should be something added onto their plate or into their issues as it is? Like what, what are you finding is the best way or how, how do you drive those discussions? That's the right question to ask because essentially you can't just say it's climate. So you have to say, okay, climate change is going to have a major impact on food security. It's going to have a major impact on water security. It's going to have a major impact on energy security. And the implications there are going to be related to conflict. There we've seen a lot of growth and understanding, I think over the past five, six yeah. years. Accelerating climate change has sort of helped focus people's attention because mm -hmm. the the changes have happened in a much more significant, dramatic, uh, and faster way than we expected even in the 90s with some of the projections in the model. And so that has focused, I think, attention. So talking more about the work that you're doing, how do you bring stakeholders together? You mentioned these nine workshops, these nine forums. What are you trying to do through that? And what are the outputs of that process? Like walk me through the process a little bit, and then we can talk to me about some outputs and how, it, how you can measure it. Sure. 
Sure. Well, you know, when we first started, you know, our work with the Center for Climate and Security, one of the one of our main objectives was to to make sure that when we're thinking about climate change and security, we would develop policies that actually addressed the security problems that would be affected by climate change. The stakeholders involved were people who knew about and cared about security. That was a driving force, right? Um, that, you know, climate, yes, environmental issues, but mostly what we wanted to do, which we thought was a gap, was, you know, figure out you know, how we address actual security issues by dealing with the climate, um, you know, factor in those security issues. Mm -hmm. And so we, um, but we reached out to anyone who was sort of in, uh, you know, positions where they were shaping important parts of security policy. Uh, but also mm -hmm. we reached out to people who were at, who were looking at climate change within these institutions, but, but didn't have really a, a path for influence. Uh, we reached out to then experts on this issue, um, you know, at academic institutions and at, at so-called think tanks and initial, those initial dialogues were just, let's talk through these issues. And we set a sort of a, a rough agenda, you know, how does climate change, like you were mentioning, you know, impact water security? What is, you know, that might climate change, you know, impact the military in what ways, right? There were these sort of kind of big questions that we thought would make sense to talk through. Then in later discussions, uh, we sort of prompted, you know, this network to consider solution. What, what should the government be doing? And so we sort of tasked this network with coming up with recommendations that were sort of broadly legitimate. The products, which were sort of these lists of recommendations, we didn't publish them in Initially, what we said was, okay, here are these recommendations. Now take these back to your bosses. How did you come across the security community to begin with? Like, why did you focus there? What was it about that that allowed you to have, say, that... 10x factor of your work? Like, was that what you're looking at? Or did you come from that background and you knew that group and you knew there was a gap that you could fix for them? We were really laser focused on a gap. It's a gap that we identified when we were doing work in our, you know, on our previous jobs, just in talking to people mm -hmm. over, sometimes over drinks, we realized, oh, there was this issue bubbling up. Climate change has security implications, but it's not dealt with as a security issue. And then we started thinking about the probability issues. And what I mean by that is you know, there was a study done, I think way back in 2006, I think it was Senator Richard Luger in the United States who had commissioned it to figure out what the likelihood of a detonation of a weapon of mass destruction was. And I think the conclusion was something like, well, in the next 20, 30 years, there's something like a 16% chance that you know a, a weapon of mass destruction might be used. 16% chance was enough to trigger, you know, massive amounts of resources massive. and political will to make sure that a weapon of mass destruction was not used. Well, we have a much higher degree of certainty about the about mm -hmm. climate change and some of its most severe impacts. We're blessed in a way with um, very good foresight about what's happening in our climate that people in mm. other parts other parts of the security community whether they're looking at terrorism or nuclear weapons they don't have even close to the level of sort of certainty in right. the issues that they're working on and yet yeah. despite sort of high 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 levels of certainty about something going you know horribly wrong yeah. you know we're not doing ne nearly as much on that issue in the security space as we are on these other issues why and that's a great question and that's a central question some parts of this answer are simple there have been very significant and powerful you know interests that didn't want anything significant to happen on climate. And so I think mm. that was a big problem. And then that sort of spun into a lot of, you know, political dialogue. And I think that had a big impact. And, and it's a hard problem. I think there's been a 
a communications problem as well. There's there's this huge problem, like maybe there's some simple solutions to it, easy solutions, but mm-hmm. it's not. It really takes a major transformation in how, you know, we, you know, get our energy uh, and also yeah. on the adaptation side, how we do a whole host of things, you know, whether it's manage mm-hmm. our water or our food. There are major changes, right, and right. I hate to say it, but major investments that need to be made. And right. I think there was, there was this aversion, I think in the 90s and even in the, the first you know, decade of the 2000s to talk about spending, right? It was all about, yeah. you know, how can we, you know, there's a quick fix to this issue, right? If we just, you know, t- you know, turn this screw and maybe, you know, divert a few funds here and there. Uh, and if mm-hmm. the private sector just gets together and does this, you know, um, then, you know, we can deal with this issue. And I think that was a mistake. Yeah. I think it was important, you know, during that time period, you know, say from 2000, 2010 to really be clear, look, this is going to take a lot mm-hmm. of money, but it's worth it because in the long term, um, yeah. you know, the, the cost will be, will, will be less. But uh, well, and, I always and, say like people look at this yeah. stuff as a cost versus as an investment, right? And that's that's yeah. a big barrier. They're like, I'm just throwing money away versus I'm planting seeds for that's a communication issue. It's an awareness issue. Yeah. And an, an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure, right? And that, that, but that's something that society has always had a lot of difficulty with and not just on climate, I might say. I want to get back to uh, the community that you built and how you built it. You were attracting security people and intelligence people and people who have like, these are very hard to reach people. And I'm curious, how did you get started with that? And what was it that drew them into your vision? The security community, broadly speaking, understands risk. And so when put in those terms, right, whether it was threat multiplier, I mentioned that term before, or when put in in, in the context of um, the likelihood of, you know, other security problems happening, whether it was conflict in certain regions that they were concerned about, you know, that made sense, I think, mm. to people in the security community. So even just on a substantive level, uh, it mm. just made sense. That's one thing. I think the second thing was that we said, I think I mentioned it before, is Let's, this needs to be a security sort of driven effort. We need to sort of ask and answer what are the security uh, issues that result from climate change uh, and then try to address those. And so we we yeah. took it, we, we, we approached it in that way. And so when we approached, you know, members of the former, you know, retired, you know, senior flag officers, four stars and three stars and, you know, people mm-hmm. with significant uh, um, experience in the military, um, we approached it that way. And so, yeah. um, and so that, that, that led to, so I think, doors opening quite quickly. And, and and then finally, and this also seems simplistic, but, um, you know, and, and I'm sure there are differences within that community, but the security community is very um, sort of mission driven. They, Frankly, a lot of people just really cared about it. And when informed about it, it didn't take long for them to say, oh, geez, yeah, this is, this is actually very pertinent to my mission in life, or at least in my mm-hmm. profession. How do you talk to these people then? Because I, I, you know, in the corporate world, you can't be too much of an environmentalist or they switch off. But it almost sounds like you can be very environmentalist as in like, this is a big problem. And that actually tunes people in maybe a little yes. bit more. That, that's that's a fantastic question because that's exactly the difference. That that hits right on the difference is that, yeah, you don't, with the private sector, you don't want to sound, and for years, you didn't want to sound like a a, a major alarmist yeah. uh, or a catastrophist. But yeah, the security community is 
very concerned about catastrophic threats, vital threats, major mm. threats to security, and even very concerned about low probability threats. I remember we mm. were speaking with, with one uh, retired four-star general in the army who said low probability events happen all the time. And you're talking about a very high probability event. So, yeah, it, so the, the, the fact that this was a very high mm. probability and high consequence threat, that's a double whammy yeah. for those in the security community. Speaking a little bit more personally, um, why didn't you go join PwC or Deloitte or KPMG and <laughs> do this exact same thing? I mean, they would have paid you a lot of money. They would have had all the doors already open. Why, why go on your own? It's a good question. I mean, I, in part, you know, it was just this the way I wanted to do it. You know, we were in, in Washington. We did have, you know, some sort of existing connections through the work we'd done. Um, mm. And we wanted to build this because of, in a way, it's because we got there at the very beginning. We thought, well, here's an opportunity to basically create the contours of a new field. And, uh, and we were there. <laughs> So we decided, let's do this and see what happens. If you're speaking to someone who's either kind of a student coming out or an aspiring professional, maybe in their first five years, what are two or three tips you'd give them to get a little bit further? I think anyone who's interested uh, should, one, I think, really see it as uh, a place that is growing. And so get in there uh, and go for it, right? Um, mm. You know, and, and there are now job opportunities in this space 10 years ago that didn't exist. I think, secondly, we need people who have, who understand climate science. And, and climate policy, environmental science, uh, environmental security, et cetera. But there's still a need for people to translate, you know, these risks, these, these environmental issues, whether that means, you know, doing a minor if you're in school on, you know, security studies, if you're studying environmental science or vice versa, or even doing your own, you know, self-study, right? Just study up on things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I would say that getting into the space, is, it's important to sort of understand the security dynamics at play. 